This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. India's Prime Minister Narendra Modi publicly criticized Russia's invasion of Ukraine, telling President Vladimir Putin that, quote, today's era is not an era of war. Speaking at the Shanghai Cooperation Organization Summit in Uzbekistan, Mr. Putin responded that he understood Mr. Modi's concerns. Later, the Russian leader said his goals in Ukraine had not changed, the main one being the, quote, liberation of the Donbass region. He then appeared to threaten to hit more civilian infrastructure. The S&P 500 suffered its worst week since June, shedding 4.8%, dragged down by FedEx, whose shares dropped by a fifth. A day earlier, the delivery firm announced cost cuts and poor preliminary results, citing weak global demand. With inflation stubbornly high, investors are bracing for the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates by three-quarters of a percentage point next week. Twenty-four people were reported to have died after more heavy fighting took place along the border between Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan. The latest flare-up between the Central Asian neighbors began on Wednesday, although skirmishes have been common for years. Hundreds of thousands of people have been evacuated from the area. Russia offered to act as peacemaker. The governor of West Virginia signed into law a near-total abortion ban. The measure, with exceptions in some cases of rape and incest, prohibits the procedure after an embryo is implanted in the uterus, usually within days of conception. West Virginia is the second state, after Indiana, to pass restrictive abortion legislation since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. In several other states, pre-Roe bans have come into force. Nayib Bukele, El Salvador's illiberal president, said he would run for re-election when his term ends in 2024. Despite a constitutional ban against presidents serving consecutive terms, judges appointed by Mr. Bukele's party gave him the green light last year. The 41-year-old styles himself as a thoroughly modern leader, but deploys authoritarian tactics and has repeatedly undermined the rule of law. The European Commission proposed setting up a media watchdog to ensure funding transparency and independence and prevent consolidation among news outlets in member states. The measure is obliquely aimed at Hungary and Poland, where governments have exerted control over public broadcasters and undermined independent news organizations. EU lawmakers in member states must approve the rules. The queue for entry to Westminster Hall in London, where Queen Elizabeth II is lying in state, closed for seven hours after it reached full capacity. Despite government warnings of 24-hour waiting times and chilly overnight temperatures, thousands of people joined the miles-long line when it reopened. Around 750,000 people are expected to file past the Queen's coffin before her funeral on Monday. Mourners include football legend David Beckham, who braved a 13-hour wait. And word of the week, boyan, a word meaning licorice in the Karakalpak language, spoken in Karakalpakstan, western Uzbekistan. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Ukraine's stunning counteroffensive. On Friday, Ukrainian officials said they had discovered a mass grave containing more than 400 bodies in Izium, 
a recently liberated town in the northeastern province of Kharkiv. As Ukrainian forces recapture Russian-occupied territory, they may make more such gruesome discoveries. The lightning operation in Kharkiv province launched on September 5th has overwhelmed Russian forces. The speed of the advance is the result of a superbly executed plan and new Western weaponry that has denied Russia air supremacy. But Russia's army has also proved brittle. Its command system appears to be in crisis. The Kharkiv offensive is the most important development in the war since Russia abandoned northern Ukraine in late March. It opens up the prospect that Ukraine could recapture part of the Luhansk region, thus denying Russia's stated objective of occupying the entire Donbass in the east. More importantly, it shows that Ukraine is capable of fast, complex, and daring attacks, that Russia can be dislodged, and that Ukraine can therefore win. An Unexpectedly Close Senate Race in Ohio The campaign in the Midwest is heating up. On Saturday, Donald Trump hosts a rally in Youngstown, Ohio, where he will endorse J.D. Vance, the author-turned-maga intellectual Republican candidate for the Senate in the upcoming midterms. Thanks largely to the former president's support, Mr. Vance won his primary in May easily, but he has struggled since. Recent polls give Tim Ryan, the Democratic candidate, a slight edge. That may be surprising in a state Mr. Trump won comfortably in 2020, but Mr. Vance's incendiary side is hurting him. His call, for example, for a total ban on abortions with no exceptions for rape has provided plenty of fodder for Mr. Ryan. Earlier this year, Ohio suffered a storm of negative publicity after a 10-year-old rape victim was forced to travel to Indiana for an abortion. Mr. Vance has also struggled with fundraising. A big rally with Mr. Trump might help, but that may not be enough to win back voters. Poland opens a propaganda-heavy canal. Where cool Baltic waves once lapped a remote sandbank, Poland's government has created a mega-project meant to outwit Russia. With pomp and pageantry, on Saturday, a 1.3-kilometer artificial waterway linking the Vistula Lagoon in the northeast to the Baltic Sea will be unveiled. It will allow ships to bypass a Russian-controlled strait, which has occasionally been shut off. The canal cost more than 2 billion zlotys, or $240 million, but the government has shrugged off any economic and environmental misgivings by casting it as a matter of national security. Military vessels, however, are unlikely to navigate a shallow lagoon so close to Kaliningrad, a heavily armed Russian enclave on its eastern edge. And there is little civilian traffic using the waterway's ports, making it something of a white elephant. But the government, hawkish on the Kremlin, has dug its heels in. Quote, we will break Russia's dominion in the region, boasted Marek Grabarchik, the official overseeing the project. A Big Boxing Bout Canelo vs. Golovkin 3 Boxing is defined by epic rivalries. The three fights between Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier lit up the sport in the 1970s. Today, the ticket-selling feud is between Saul Canelo Alvarez of Mexico and Gennady Golovkin of Kazakhstan. Both have dominated several weight categories and have been considered the best quote, pound-for-pound boxer in the world. On Saturday evening in Las Vegas, they will go at it for a third time.
The pair's first meeting five years ago was a blockbuster bout that ended in a disputed draw. A year later, in another close contest, judges gave the win to Mr. Alvarez. Mr. Golovkin feels he has unfinished business. But he is 40 and has hardly fought in recent years. Mr. Alvarez is eight years younger and the favorite. If the encounter matches the previous grueling acts, then boxing, which has recently lost fans to other combat sports, may be the biggest winner. Weekend Profile Georgia Maloney, Italy's Probable New Prime Minister Georgia Maloney grew up as the daughter of a single parent. Her father left soon after she was born in 1977. Ms. Maloney and her sister subsequently compounded their mother's problems by accidentally setting fire to their apartment in a leafy Rome suburb. Recounting this incident in her autobiography, Ms. Maloney is amused rather than ashamed. The loss of her childhood home might have left her with, quote, the courage to set up a political home years later, she jokes. That home is the Brothers of Italy FDI party, which polls suggest will win the most votes in the general election on September 25th. If the conservative alliance of which it is part wins a comfortable parliamentary majority as is expected, Ms. Maloney could well be Italy's next prime minister. Back in her girlhood after the fire, Ms. Maloney's family moved to cheaper accommodation in Garbatella, a working-class district in the south of Rome. There she grew up poor but happy, though, quote, a bit irascible, she writes. At age 15, in reaction to the assassination of Paolo Borsellino, a right-wing anti-mafia judge, Ms. Maloney joined the youth wing of the neo-fascist Italian social movement, MSI. She did not go to university, yet by age 29 was a national lawmaker, representing MSI's successor movement, the National Alliance. When she was 31, Silvio Berlusconi, the prime minister, made her the youngest minister in the history of the republic. Ms. Maloney's career has not been hindered by the fact that in 2016 she had a child out of wedlock, despite her party's vigorous advocacy for traditional values. In recent years, she has worked hard to soften her image, toning down her rhetoric. But her periodic lapses into strident Euroscepticism, most recently during a campaign rally in Milan on September 11th, suggest that little has really changed. Someone who knows her calls her views, quote, Trumpite. Ms. Maloney and FDI's rapid journey from the fringes of Italian politics to center stage has taken many observers by surprise but she still has to make her position clear and prove she can govern a country. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia, Shin Inagaki, Tokyo, Japan. North America, Lauren Fragomeni, Ottawa, Canada. Central and South America, Ramon Azpurua, Caracas, Venezuela. Europe, Rachel Loriman, London, United Kingdom. Africa, Gary Gantz, Johannesburg, South Africa. Oceania, Paula Johnson, Perth, Australia. They all gave the correct answers of Twilight, White Stripes, Houston Rockets, Bruce Banner, and Brave New World. The theme is that these are all words in the first verse of America's national anthem. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Dag Hammarskjöld. 
Time goes by, reputation increases, ability declines. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.